0: In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea, and we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I do not run. I'm not a runner. I I do run, but if I run, it's it's because something's after me or I'm chasing one of my children. God created Henry Ford for a reason, right? I mean, (laughs) But I know folks who who do run. They're serious about it. Um, And they, the more serious you are about running, the more you understand that to run well, you have to run right. Like to really run well, you have to run right, and that's not just about the form of running, although that matters, um, but it also has to do with the conditioning, the practicing, even the diet, the rhythms of sometimes running longer distances, sometimes shorter distances. This is the extent of my knowledge. I probably could go on if I knew more about running. But, don't. but to run well, you have to run properly. So today, Paul, speaking to the church, the saints in the churches of Galatia, he's encouraging them to run well. But to run well, they're going to have to run right, to run the right way. And he's actually going to show us today that the stakes in this life—they're just too high for us to run the race of life on our own strength and intuition. So run. In the grace of Jesus. The stakes in this life, right? The cost is too great for us to assume that we can run in our own strength and intuition instead of leaning into the grace of Jesus for that ability to run. To run right and to run well. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. He starts chapter 5 this way. <laughs> for freedom, I love this verse, Christ has set us free. Sounds redundant. But again, he spent four chapters already reminding people who knew they had been set free in Christ that they're actually free. I'm a knucklehead too. That's why I need verses like this. It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Free, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This could have capped off chapter 4. That was the theme last week. But he's actually transitioning us into the final section of his letter. That's why it shows up where it does. Actually, these 12 verses that we'll look at today are a transitional chunk of verses, kind of recapping some of the things that he has taught the uh, saints at Galatia, or some would say retaught the saints at the churches of Galatia, into uh, the final two chapters, which are going to be some practicalities about what it looks like for us to be transformed by the Spirit of Christ, and to be transformed and led by the Holy Spirit. The the letter to the churches in Galatia in three sections breaks down real neatly, chapters 1 and 2, chapters 2 and 3. Or chapters 3 and 4 and chapters 5 and 6. Chapters 1 and 2, we saw that there is one true gospel. He shared his experiences, and he shared theology. So he, he came at that truth, that there's one true gospel in two ways. He, he preached to us theology. He wrote to the church's theology, but he also shared his experience. So experientially, theologically, presented, there's only one gospel. <laughs> Chapters 3 and 4, then, that one gospel saves a diverse family of people by grace through faith. So there was more doctrine, more theology, that salvation comes by grace through faith. But there was also this theme that went all through those two chapters in particular, that that grace and faith saves both Jews and Gentiles. That it saves people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That God's family is incredibly diverse, and it's not rooted in DNA. It's rooted in faith in Jesus. That's the section we finished up last week. Now we transition into the final section. That this one true gospel that is saving a diverse family of people is, tran- is transforming that diverse family of people into Christ's likeness by the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's going to take 12 verses to kind of make that transition. We're going to see him today. He's going to recap some of the themes that he's touched on, and he's going to set up what he's about to talk about. He's going to go, uh, it's a little bit transitional. It's a little bit introductory. And and the first thing he does is he he goes back and he looks at one of his major themes, and that, that is that salvation is not found in works. It just can't be. But he kind of puts a new twist on it or says it a new way. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Remember, he's touched on three primary things here. uh, Circumcision, dietary restrictions, and uh, celebrating sacred days. These are three things that the Judaizers, which is the name he's given to these Jewish quote-unquote Christians who have come in and said it's not enough to live by faith alone and Jesus alone you need works of the law as well those were the three things that they promoted circumcision primarily but also dietary restrictions and celebrating sacred days he says if you accept circumcision Christ will be of no advantage to you i testify again you like if you haven't got it yet right i testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law might feel like Paul's beating a dead horse at this point, but he's got a slightly unique twist to it. He's, he's kind of driving the nail into the coffin of his argument against the law by saying to those who would seek to abide by the law that if you take even one part of the law, you have to take all of the law. It's not customizable. It's not like Subway where you show up. Pat McClintock's not even here. That was for Patrick McClintock <laughs> because he owns a bunch of Subway's. So go eat there after church. But check with him to make sure he owns it first. It's not Subway. You can't like stand in line and pick little pieces of the law to go on your Sub sandwich. It's more like a Hot Pocket. It comes as is. For good or bad. Usually for bad. But it's a lot more like a Hot Pocket than it is like like Subway. It's not a buffet. If you take circumcision and diet and sacred days, Paul is telling the Judaizers. Then you get all the other stuff too. All the laws about goats' milk and garments made of two materials and all these sacrificial laws. you got to take them on too. You don't just get a piece of it. He says, remember that. And more importantly, he's saying, if you're holding on to the law for salvation, don't forget, it was never intended to save you. No. Never. You twisted it, you twisted what God gave you into some way of gaining favor before God, but that's not why he gave it to you. He gave it to you to show how far you are away from the favor of God. Right. How deeply you need faith in the Messiah to come Right for the Jews that were born before the cross, for the, those of all nations born before the cross, and they looked back to what Jesus had done for all those born after the cross. That's what the law does. It, it reveals our sinfulness. How far we come up short. There's other things it does. Important things. It does teach us about the holiness of God. It does give us things to emulate and, and act upon. But it's not to save. It's not to save. never was. And it never will be. So Paul reminds them of this. If you're holding on to the law, you've got to take all of it. And when you grab on to all of it, remember, it's never going to save you anyway because it wasn't meant to. And Paul says... Regardless though, why would you because to the saints of Galatia because the stakes are are way too high for that. He says, "You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace." These two expressions, severed from Christ and fallen away from grace, have been interpreted several different ways throughout church history. I, say today that I believe that the Bible makes a very strong case that those who are truly in Christ cannot be separated from Christ. Romans uh, 8, 28-30. John ten twenty eight. You cannot be plucked out of the hand of Jesus who holds you and God who holds you. Your salvation is secure, those of you who are truly in Christ. But yet he brings up these terms, these expressions that apply to anyone who would be justified by the law. Anyone who would, in their own self, say, I'm going to gain righteousness. I'm going to gain justification by A, B, and C that I can do in my own strength and power. That those would be people who are severed from Christ and fallen away from from grace, severed from Christ... Those who are truly in Christ, by the way, are forever in Christ. But if people choose the law instead of Jesus, then you have uh, you are taking hold of something that cannot save you. And you're clearly not in Jesus. Those who are truly in Christ, right? Not perfectly. Every single time will we choose grace. We're humans. There'll be times that we think we can accomplish things on our own, we forget the uh, the help of God in our lives, we don't uh, seek it or, or ask for it. But if the law was what you're choosing, which is what the Judaizers were promoting, that you are going to receive it theologically, doctrinally as something that will save you. If, if you receive that theologically and doctrinally, then you were never in, in Christ to begin with. You may have mimicked Christian talk, you may have hung out with the true people of God but you were never actually in Christ. All of us before faith in Jesus were severed from Christ. So he says those who, who are still hanging on to the law were never in Christ to begin with. They're still in that place, severed from the law. Fallen away from grace. This expression's a little bit more uh, difficult. I'll, I'll give an illustration and then kind of unpack it. My kids love to play with Legos. They used to love them even more. I, on the other hand, do not enjoy stepping on Legos. So we would always ask the kids to clean up the Legos. So that, I mean, again, I mean the worst pain that you can have that doesn't put you in the hospital. I'm convinced is to step on a Lego in the middle of the night. It's definitely up there. But history tells me that my children cannot possibly, and I don't know why, clean up all the Legos. They just can't do it. They work really hard at it, but they can't get it done. So I have two options when I ask them to clean up. I can say, hey, clean up those Legos, or you'll be punished. And then I can stand over them and wait for them to fail and punish them there. Or I can say, hey, let's clean up these Legos. And I can get down there with them, and I can help them out. Maybe turn it into a little game or something so that it's fun and, and joyful to do it together and in that, right, create three children instead of children of sleep. That's what Paul's getting after here, that there are people in the church who have, yes, received a measure of God's grace, but have not received saving grace. They show up in churches, they go along with what everybody is doing, and in that, they are recipients of what the Protestants call common grace. Grace that's extended to everyone. The fact that you're still breathing. The fact that you can hear the gospel still with your ears or read it with your eyes. That's common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to receive that grace. There's been other names throughout church history and in other branches of Christianity. Actual grace, prevenient grace. But that grace that belongs to all by God's mercy. By God's love. But there's also saving Grace. Supernatural grace that actually transforms our lives to bring us to a place where we believe that Jesus is the one true Son of God. That grace is the grace that saves. This is the grace that he's saying you fall away from, not the second one, the first one. That common grace. You're in the body of Christ, but you're going to separate yourself from the body of Christ by going after these Judaizers And in that, you'll no longer be hearing the true gospel. In that, you'll no longer be uh, sitting under the the true articulation of scripture. And in that, you will fall away from that means of grace that is to be amongst people who proclaim the gospel. Right? You have God saying, hey, let me help you with your life. And you're going to say, no, I'll do it myself. I don't need your help. And those who say that, those who resist, they fall out of that common grace. Piper says the key, John Piper says, the key to freedom, to freedom, to freedom, phew, is whether God comes down to help us do what he requires and whether we live by faith in that work of grace. We are reliant on his help or we aren't. Well, there are varying levels, right, within... Christian traditions of of how uh, sovereign and powerful that grace is over us but all Christians agree that apart from the grace of God our ability to clean up our lives is is null we need help with that and so we must define freedom instead of like if my kids were like no don't help us right and then submitted themselves to the punishment of not cleaning up the Legos that would be like, leaning into the law for salvation. Instead, receive the help of the Father. The stakes are, are so high. Jesus said some said it this way, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, right? And that's not just the verse for people who are going off after all the carnal pleasures of this world. There are those who are trying to, to gain righteousness in their own strength and power. And they're clamoring for it and grabbing for it and all these human ways of doing it in doing so, they forfeit their own soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The stakes are are high. So Paul gets to the heart of the matter. He says, for through faith, or through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. By the way, notice this. The, The legalist, the person who would rely on the law to make them righteous, they want righteousness. They desire it. And the person who comes... To God by grace through faith in Jesus, they want righteousness too. It's the same pursuit, but Paul says how it's pursued matters. Righteousness comes from the inside out, not the outside in. It's not our works that then turn our hearts good, it is the transformation of our hearts by the saving grace of God that changes our actions by grace and the spirit through faith the transformation comes not by works of the the law notice this too, it's a process he says we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness in other words, when you're saved I hope we'd all be be honest enough to testify to this, you don't wake up the next day perfect, right? Anybody, Anybody else had a different experience? it takes time there's a sanctification process, that's the big word that the Bible uses for that, that to become like Christ happens day after day after day after day after day. After day. And it's not like a, uh, it's not a linear line. It's more like you're, if you if you have an investment portfolio, if you look at that line, right, like it goes like this. But the trajectory, right, could be a linear line, because it's going more further and further into Christ-likeness, but you'll have your ups and downs on that process. But we wait eagerly with faith that that righteousness will be ours. He goes on, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. God doesn't want your performance first. He's not like waiting at the, the gate saying, Performance, show me what you did. Show me your resume. Show me your works. That's not what he's asking for. He wants your heart. Circumcision, uncircumcision, irrelevant. Faith, working through love. He wants your heart. Psalmist said it. He said, for you will not delight in sacrifice. You won't delight in my performance. You won't delight in my rituals or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Spirit that says, I can't, but Jesus can. I must have his help, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's the posture of faith. The posture of faith says, I can't, but God can, and Jesus did. And I put my faith. The stakes are too high. They're incredibly high. So we get to the heart of the matter, grace through faith. And the and the result of that saving faith is obvious. Because it's not legalism. It's love. It's not coming up, right? The, the, the uh, testament of your faith is not that you've got this really tight list of ways people have to act and look and be and do. The sign of true faith is love. She would pour out love and sacrifice and generosity for others. Faith brings love, not legalism. So the heart of the matter is faith working out through love. The saints at at Galatia had lived this way before. If you remember in in chapters 3 and 4, Paul gave us some insight into some experiences he had there in his first missionary journey. How compassionate they were how caring they were, how loving and sacrificial and generous they had been. That that faith had transformed their lives, and the evidence of that was love. He extended to them. Remember, he he said he he was stuck there with them because of an ailment, and even though that was a burden to them, they stayed with him. They loved him, they served him, they welcomed him and received him. That was a sign that their faith was, was true faith, was it worked its way out through love. But now... Uh, Things are changing. He says, you were running well. I saw your running form when I was there. It looked right. I mean, I don't know what good running form looks like, so the illustration breaks down, but it looked right. When I saw your running, I'm like, that guy knows what he's doing. That's like Usain Bolt, right? Not Paul Boquel, right? If you were to see us run next to each other, that'd be a clue of who runs right and who doesn't run right. You can (laughs) probably identify a lot of differences and the running. And it wouldn't just be the results. Those would clearly be different. But the methods would be different. The means, the the, the way of doing it would be starkly different in probably every single way. Except maybe we would go the same direction. That would be about it. <laughs> he says, and now when I look at you, right, when I looked at you before, I saw the correct running form, but now you've been hindered. Your running form betrays you. And here's what it betrays. That this persuasion that you're currently being baited with by these Judaizers and some of you are compromising to believe that persuasion is not from him who calls you. It's not from Coach, capital C, Jesus. It's not from God the Father, right? You've got a a bad coach. You've got some coaches in there, right, who coach the C-team. Not the A-team. They don't know how to coach you right, and they're not practicing right, and because you're not being coached right or practicing right, you're starting to run like people who don't know how to run. And here's why. Because a little leaven, even just a little bit, leavens the whole lump, right? Like So if you do baking, and I, I guess it comes leaven maybe when we get, I don't know, but that changes the whole composition. You ever had unleavened bread? Right? Some churches would do that for communion. It's it's called a cracker, that's what it's called. It can get all puffed up and soft and you know, and but it doesn't take huge amounts of leaven to change the composition of bread dough. Just a little bit. If your coaches, right, the the online influences, the books that you're reading are just going against the gospel, even just a little bit. Oh, you've got you you have what it takes inside of you, right You're worth it. You can do it right Like those little subtle things that we hear bombarded against us every single day if we begin to receive any of those messages, it can leaven the whole lump. it can junk up the whole whole thing. And if we practice poorly, we don't walk in faith. Instead, we start walking in reliance on self. I can fix this. I can change this. I can make a way. And that leavens the whole lump, too. Think about this. Here's one way to think about practicing walking in faith. Because it comes out through love. A couple verses back, remember? Who's the people in your life that God's called you to love? Okay, now we are to love everyone, the whole world, but who are the people that that buy, uh, whether it's uh, motherhood or fatherhood or a relationship in marriage or certain family members or the neighborhood you find yourself in, the workplace you find yourself in, there's, there's some people that that love is going to be directed toward more specifically in your life. Of those people, who's the hardest person to love? Who is I you know, don't shout it out, especially if they're here. I don't want that. <laughs> Who's the hardest person to love? You want to work out your faith muscles? You want to practice your running form? Love them. Even when you don't feel like it. Sacrificially, generously, kindly, love them. If there's a mirror up here, you would see that I'm not just preaching that to you. I'm preaching that to me. Love those people people commit to loving the people who annoy you and, and sting you and frustrate you and test you. whoo that'll get you know right like a good workout it burns a little bit it'll be a good workout for your running by faith by grace through faith. See not all running's the same, but running by grace looks like faith lived out through love. Paul has confidence that the, the Galatians will see this he says that in verse 10. He says, I am confident. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. He says, you're going to come around to see this again. I know because I saw faith in you lived out through love. This is just a hiccup on the, on the timeline of your lives. You had some bad teachers come in there. They taught you some false stuff. It sounded really slick and good. And you started to kind of lean into it. But I know when the true gospel is presented to you, you'll get back on it. He's confident about something else, though, too. He's confident that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Two things he's confident in, renewal for the saints and justice for the oppressors. We need that confidence. We need confidence in both of those things and only through the grace of God can we have it. Paul's confident that their hearts and minds will be renewed by the truth. God's word God's people, God's presence transforms God's people. We are transformed through those things. Never lose that hope. You might find yourself in a season, maybe not where you're believing false doctrine like the Galatians were, but maybe you're just struggling to believe the truth of the gospel in your life because of circumstances situations and struggles that you're going through. Don't say that glibly. Hope can be hard sometimes. Cling on. Hope that God renews his people. Not only that, but there will be justice for the oppressors. The Judaizers are going to be punished eventually. People who came in and stirred up all this dissension, they will be punished. And and in this life, the wicked, the arrogant, the narcissist, the self-indulgent, the users and abusers will be punished. Punished. Now the timeline might not be the way you want it to be. They might get away with it longer than you're comfortable with, but never lose that hope. So if you're under the thumb of someone who's oppressing you right now or abusing you right now, hang on to hope. Not by yourself. Bring some other Christians who know and love the gospel into that with you. There may be some practical things you need to do, but in doing those practical things, don't stop holding on to hope. And if you right now have tendencies in your life towards people in your life where you're being oppressive towards them, or abusive towards them, repent. Because justice will come. That's hope. There's also fear there as well. Renewal and justice are guaranteed, Paul isn't finished yet. He's going to wrap it up in style. And a couple more things he wants to get off his chest. Verse 11, he says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 11, he's addressing a lie that the Judaizers have told about him. Evidently, the Judaizers came in and said, Hey, did you hear? Uh, Paul's preaching a new message now. They brought him into this. See, he's way back, he's gone, he's not here. We heard him just last week talking about how circumcision is a part of being saved. It's his message too. Paul says, no, it's not. And if it was, then why am I still being persecuted by by the Judaizers? Why are they throwing rocks at my head? Why are they trying to have me killed? If I was in line with what they're teaching, there wouldn't be any fuss about it. So he says they're liars. Then everyone's new life verse comes in verse 12. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's in your Bible. It's there. There's this uh, 30 Rock, uh, if you've ever watched 30 Rock, Tina Fey's on there. And she's like trying to stall at this wedding. Um, She's supposed to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And she keeps like, she's got to like get more time because there's something, I don't remember why, but she's like stalling. So she just starts flipping through the Bible and she comes to that one where it talks about maybe uh, in the Old Testament where that should be cut off. Yeah, like all the growth. And she's just like, come on, Bible, why? You know, like why do I get every every bad verse that's completely inappropriate for a wedding? Well, this is in your Bible. That's one of them. If you never thought you'd hear a, an illustration about Lorena Bobbitt in a sermon, <laughs> you're still not going to, but I thought I'd throw a name out there anyway. If you don't know who that is, Google it, but be very careful when you're yeah. This is the amount of chill that Paul has towards the Jews. He's actually saying some stuff here, though, underneath, perhaps one of two ways. There were pagan religions that the Galatians would have been familiar with who um, emasculation would have been part of their religious pagan practices. Castration, full castration would have been part of their religious practices. So he might be saying, hey, if you're all about these rituals, why not just do what the pagans are doing? Just start out if, it, if it's not by grace through faith, and we're just going to start practicing these rituals. Then why not adopt these practices over here? Another thing he might be saying, which I think is one of the verses that Tina Fey reads in the in the skit, is there's a New Testament or an Old Testament verse in the law that says if you have that happen to you, the words crushed testicles appear in that verse as well. This is the Bible. I'm just quoting it to you that you are no longer able to be part of the people of God. So he might be saying, why not just go all the way, right, right, with this circumcision thing and just go ahead and write yourselves out. That's what you're doing anyway. You're writing yourself out of the people of God. Eugene Peterson says it way better. He's got a kinder tone. This is a this is more of a commentary than a translation of the Bible, but he, he says it this way for verses 11 and 12. As for the rumor that I continue to preach the way of circumcision as I did in those pre-Damascus road days, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? If I were preaching that old message, no one would be offended by it if I mentioned the cross every now and then. It would be so watered down, it wouldn't matter one way or the other. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, just go all the way? and castrate themselves. Love. So there you go. That's Paul's attitude towards the jubilates. There's hope for us today, though. Even though the stakes are super high, the reason Paul talks this way is because the stakes are so very high. It's life or death. Faith in Jesus is life or death. His hatred towards the message of the Judaizers is so strong because what they're threatening to steal away from the saints in Galatia is going to potentially cost them their lives eternally. Stakes may be higher for you today too. I don't know. Acts four twelve says, There is salvation and no one else, not yourself, not your own works, not your own abilities. Not your own ritualistic religion. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And if you're not a Christian today, quit striving. I say that with a broken heart towards you. uh, a, A caring heart towards you. Cease from striving and come to faith in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be set free. Do that today. And child of God, just to sum it up. One, running is actually harder when we don't run right. If we, right, run correctly with the illustration, then what you do is you limit your exertion and you maximize the effect. When you run right, you're actually not working as hard as if I was trying to run next to you, right? Like It might sound counterintuitive, but Usain Bolt is working a lot less hard than I am if we try to run 100 yards. He's practiced well, he's leaned into good coaching, and he's learned how to run right. And so the call to run well is a call to receive grace. Not a call to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and and figure out how to run well, but it's to lean into the grace that is ours. In Christ, the work is finished. It's done. Jesus is saying, let me help you build the muscle of running in faith. Let me empower you to run by faith. Let me teach you the right techniques to run by faith. And So don't refuse the help of your Father in Jesus. Receive grace daily. Two, who you run to is who you'll run like. You will begin to run like the places you run to. If you keep running to social media or busyness or stuff for what only Jesus can give you, then you're going to start to run very poorly. Imagine if in my race that somehow got created against Hussein Bolt, I decided to carry all my stuff with me too. I like scrolling through my Facebook feed. Carrying all my burdens strapped on my back, right? All the things that worry me and, and make me afraid. All the sins that still so easily beset me. I just pack all that weight on. It's going to get even more ridiculously unfair. What you run to will begin to be what you run like. And lastly, if you're going to run in this life, which you will. Life's hard. It just is, man. There's no free pass. Well, there's a few free passes in this life, but not very many. Most of it's hard. You're going to run. Paul's saying you can run with shackles on, you can run with a big old weighted backpack on your back, or you can run in freedom. Run in freedom. Run with joy and satisfaction and hope. Run in the power of another by the grace of another through faith in another Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn how to run yoked up with Jesus in the unforced rhythms of his grace because Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And while you run with Jesus, you will find rest for your soul. So run to Jesus today. If you're running poorly and you're exhausted with it and you've worn yourself out, the object today, the the message today isn't that you just try harder. The message is receive the grace of Jesus. Yeah, you're going to have to run. We all do. But run in freedom. Run in grace. Run in the rest that can be yours in Christ. The stakes are just too high for us to run the race of life in our own strength and intuition. So run. In the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that that you have given to your children absolute freedom. And and I'm a knucklehead. I just am. Many of us in this room still have moments where we are uh, knuckleheads, we forget about our about our freedom. We don't live in it. Instead, we live as people who are shackled. We forget how to run in freedom and we run to the wrong things, but man, your grace is sufficient. Your forgiveness is is greater than all of our, our sins and shortcomings. And so may we receive that today. Not in a flippant way that just disregards all of the, and doesn't desire change, but in a true way that desires to come to you not only for forgiveness, but for transformation of our lives. So may we come to you that way and find rest and renewal by the grace of God. In the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone, and we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillagechurch.